0: Jesus, would you show us what it means to know you, and um, would that become so concrete in our hearts and our minds that we really do become different people? We pray this together in Jesus' name, amen. Good evening, six o'clock hardcore crowd. Post Seahawks win, I'm told. I'm also told that is an athletic team, is that correct? Am I saying that right? Right. I got a text from a buddy today actually that said uh, go Hawks and I had to ask what that meant. I was like I don't know. I'm sorry I'm from California and I don't follow sports so I don't, I know I can't be your friend but (laughs) it's good to be together tonight and I'm so glad that you are here and I think you're going to be so glad you are here because tonight I'm going to tell you what God's plan is for your life. And I want to say ahead of time you're welcome. (laughs) Because I know it's complicated. It's hard to figure out. People have come to me, Jesse, what should I do with my life tonight? I'm going to tell you. All right? This is exciting. But I've got to press pause because I do do just want to read extend that welcome to the men here at Bell Prez. If you're hearing my voice right now, like, come check out Men's Fraternity Wednesday morning, Wednesday evening. We'd love to have you. We're starting to get really practical with stuff. Uh, if you missed the fall or if you're kind of hit or miss in your attendance, don't worry about it. Just come anyway. We would love to have you. In fact, if you can hear my voice in your mail, just know that it is God's will for you to come on Wednesday. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not kidding. Um... <laughs> Christmas has come and gone. I hope your Christmas was good. I was in bed the whole day sick, but that's fine. Enough about me. Um, Christmas has come and gone, and it's a new year, 2013. Amazing. And so we have a new teaching series to go with our new year, and I'm really excited about it because we're calling it Stuff Christians Say. Stuff Christians Say. It's like about the catchphrases and the cliches that you sometimes hear in Christian circles that kind of make you go that seems right, but is that the whole story there? You know, is it, uh, sometimes they're, they're confusing, sometimes they're downright harmful, but you kind of hear these phrases, especially if you've been around the church for a while. And this is uh, one that is especially interesting to me, the one we're talking about tonight. Uh, you might have heard b- before, um, but it's one that I kind of grew up with very confused about. Didn't quite know how to deal with this. And it's just this, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Have you heard that before? God has a wonderful plan for your life. That sounds pretty good. That sounds good. But I really struggle with this one. And this has kept me awake some nights, trying to figure it out. So what is God's plan for my life then? If he's got it, what is it? Because I really want to know what to do with my life. I want to know the best moves to make. What are the best decisions Where should I go? Should I stay? Should I move? Should I be? What should I do? I want to have a positive impact on the world. So yeah, if God's got a wonderful plan for my life, I want to know it. And the places in my life where I've kind of felt most the desire to know God's plan, and where I've often felt the most tension as well, has been in my work and in my relationships. In work and relationships, I kind of feel the tension especially there. In work, I've always been trying to figure out what to do. God, is this is this it? Is this the work that you made me for? Is this what I'm meant to do? For a short season I was a sixth grade teacher. Scary, right? Sixth grade teacher. What I discovered was it doesn't matter if you get summers off. There are easier ways to make that little money. <laughs> there just are, right? Teachers, can I get a what what? Because it is hard work. And it didn't matter that you got summers off way too much. So I lasted an entire year at that job. At that time, that was the average in California, actually. That's how good our school systems were. Um, for a short time in college, I was kind of on and off working at a feedlot. And a feedlot is a place where if you own cows, which I know many of you do, if you own cows, <laughs> you would take them to the feedlot. And um, the person who owns the feedlot would provide food for them, make sure they're healthy, make sure they're getting enough rest. It was kind of like a cow hotel, right? And that for enough cold, wet days of um, spreading manure with a tractor, it just became clear to me that that wasn't God's will for my life. It just it couldn't be. There was one 12-month season during my early 20s where I worked at a country radio station for one month a Mexican restaurant for three weeks, a bank for one week, an olive garden for three days. <laughs> but that's their kind of average, too. Um, and a retail men's clothing shop for one shift. Now, I didn't tell any of the morning crowd this, but I feel like you guys can handle it. Actually, my record for kind of shortest employment was at Jack in the Box, it was two hours. During those two hours, (laughs) some of you have worked there. Um, During those two hours, we watched training videos for what to do when your face gets burned by the French fry oil (laughs) and what to do when you get robbed at gunpoint. Not if you get robbed at gunpoint. (laughs) When you get robbed at gunpoint, this is what you should do. This is honestly what happened. And then they gave me the pants to try on. And so I tried on the pants, and there was a horizontal line that went uh, halfway across the buttocks area the posterior section of the body creating four quadrants if you're no you can't handle it okay well just to say that wasn't god's will for my life as soon as i tried on those pants i knew that wasn't it that is not it it's not jack-in-the-box for me when it came to being an employee i was a flight risk all right but i want to know god's plan for my life god what is your plan i want to do the stuff i was meant to do and I was always afraid I was making the wrong decision. So I would kind of get into something. I would try it out. It would get hard or something. And, you know, we can get kind of superstitious. Like if things are going hard, well, that, maybe that's not God's will. Or if things are going well, well, that, that's got to be God's will. But I was just superstition. Superstitious. This pattern also showed up in my relationships, both dating and my platonic friendships. And what about her, Lord? Is, is she the one? Is that the person? Is that kind of looking around everywhere, and I would bounce in and out of these romantic relationships looking for God's plan for my life and creating all kinds of heartache for me and for that other person in the process. I want to know God's plan for my life. I want to know and do His will. And I'm afraid, I'm afraid I'm going to make the wrong choice. And so much of my life, as I kind of look back, I realize has been lived in fear that I might be making the wrong choices. Have you felt that frustration of not knowing what to do in a particular situation or with a particular relationship at a particular time? God, what do I do? Just that frustration of not knowing the best move. Have those decisions ever kept you awake at night? Have you ever been afraid that you're making the wrong decision or you have made the wrong decision and now you're going, oh my gosh, how am I going to get out of this? Many of us in this room are, are in the middle of some kind of decision-making process right now. You've got that stuff that is heavy on your heart and on your mind and you're like, God, what do I do? Show me what to do. I need to hear from you. What should I do about this? Should I move? Should I go? Should I stay? Should I date or marry this person or date or marry that person? What college should I go to? What career should I choose? How should I be involved in church? What should I do about my kids? What's the best way to raise them? Our are, are questions about what we should do are endless. And I think at the root of these questions, there's a very good motive in us. I think for the most part, there's a good motive in that. We want to do good things. We want our lives to count for something. We want to be good for the world. We want to fulfill our purpose. Those are good motives, but kind of mixed in with that, this this mix of not so good motives. And largely out of fear or uncertainty about the future, we want control. We want control. We want to make sure we know all the details so we can control the details, so we won't have to feel so out of control. We live a lot of our lives motivated by fear. Gosh, I hope I do do this right, I hope I choose that right, I hope I've done this well, or fear. So we're restless, looking for the right answer on how to best parent, or best lead, or best work, or where we should go, what we should do. But a lot of it, frankly, is rooted in fear. And we get anxious and we get depressed. That's how I get. And we numb this fear with all kinds of unhealthy things. We can be such a mess. But into this mess of good motives and bad motives, into this mess of wondering what should we do with our lives, into this mess, Jesus shows up. And it reveals to us, confused and anxious and well-meaning people, that he does indeed have a wonderful plan for our lives, but it might be different than what we're after. In fact, God's answer may not even fit our question. Usually I'm like, God, show me about this, and what should I do, and da 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 and what about, ah, and God's like, the answer is this, actually, it's over here. God's answer might not fit our question, but God's answer might be better than the answers that we're actually after. In fact, I think it is. I've come slowly over time, reluctantly through lots of bumps and bruises to believe that God's plan for my life is not so much this roadmap that I've got to figure out, this roadmap that I I might lose my way, I might fall off all of a sudden and ruin my life and God's plan for my life is a relationship with him. God's plan for your life isn't a roadmap, it's a relationship. Now, as soon as we say that, we've just almost created another catchphrase, haven't we? So we've got to be careful. This isn't the whole picture, of course. How could you possibly capture all of God's mind and heart and all of his plans into a saying? No, we can't. But this moves us to understand something bigger about God, to help us zoom out from all these decisions we've got to make and see what is really at stake here. Let me show you what I mean. In the book of John chapter 17 that Scott just read, Jesus has just finished telling his disciples some stuff. He's been telling them, hey guys, I'm so glad that you're going to follow me. Um, Life is going to get tough. There's going to be times when you're not uh, going to be sure what's going to happen. You're not going to know what to do always. There's going to be some hard things to come, but check this out. Everything that you're about to face... All those questions and those fears and those doubts and all of that stuff, I have overcome. I have overcome, and so don't be afraid. In fact, all you got to do is stick close with me, and that stuff is going to work itself out. It's going to be okay. Stick with me. I've overcome the world. Jesus is explaining this to his disciples. And then right in the middle of it, he breaks into prayer. He starts talking to his heavenly father. So he's been talking to the disciples, just like you and I are having a conversation, then all of a sudden he's having this conversation with his dad, right there, in their presence, which at first seems kind of odd. Like if you and I were just in conversation, we were talking, and all of a sudden I'm praying, but I'm still kind of looking at you, but I'm praying. Like that would be a little strange. But we kind of have these distinctions. Like, well, there's spiritual and there's secular, which is not spiritual, and there's heaven and earth. And for Jesus, these things were all. Open to him. He didn't see those same distinctions. Um, And so it was very natural for him to to act toward his father as though his father was actually physically there with him, guiding him, speaking to him, which he was, which he is. It was a natural thing for Jesus to do. So he breaks into prayer right in the middle of this conversation. He starts to pray, and the most amazing thing Starts to happen. See, God the Son is praying to God the Father and we get to listen in. It's kinda like you're at that, you know, you're at the Starbucks and there's some conversation going over here that's really interesting and you know you're not supposed to be listening in, but you can't help yourself because oh my gosh, did you hear what she just said, right? So you're trying to focus and but it's kinda like we're listening in on a conversation, this very intimate conversation. This conversation, the content of which is primarily about each other, how they love each other. And we get a sneak peek into Jesus' private world and this incredible love relationship that he had with his father, that he enjoyed with his very good father. And this is what he prays while he's talking to God. Father, the hour has come. The hour has come. He's just talking about it's now the point in his life when he's about to be crucified. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Basically make the intimacy and the love between us obvious to others. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. And then Jesus prays something that has the power to totally flip upside down the way that we think about his plans. To totally um, disarm all that fear All that second-guessing, all that wondering, what am I going to do? He says this, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That they know you, the eternal kind of life, the eternal quality of life that we're all after, we're all pursuing in all our various ways, we wouldn't necessarily articulate it that way. But the life that is really satisfying, purpose-filled, the life that we're after, that eternal quality of life, it is this. It is to know you, Father. It's to be in intimate relationship with you, Father. And in praying this prayer, this prayer that comes out of this perfect love relationship, this intimacy, this amazing thing, Jesus reveals for all people and all time for us tonight, what God's wonderful plan for humanity actually is. It's to know God the Father in the same kind of intimate way that Jesus knew the Father. That's the plan. That's his greatest heart's desire. Life is not ultimately about making the right choices, though of course we have to discern what's a good choice here. Life is ultimately about intimacy, with God the Father. Life is not ultimately about trying not to get it wrong, trying, not, trying to make as few mistakes as possible. Life is ultimately about falling more in love with God. And talk about a paradigm shift. Because I want to know the right answer. God, what is the right answer? What is the right answer? I want to know the right answer. And God says, I want you to know me. I want you to know me. And this kind of knowing is not the way we think of it. It's not this kind of head knowledge. It's kind of like, I've got information about God and somehow that makes me different. We all got plenty of information about God and it hasn't done much for us sometimes, right? This kind of knowing is the same, in fact, it's the same word used to describe the depths of sexual intimacy as when Adam knew his wife. It means I know you inside and out and everything and my life is based on that knowing, I know you intimately, and I love you. In praying this, Jesus is kind of revealing two different ways that we can move through life. One, we can build a life out of love, rooted in love and intimacy with the Father, all of our decisions coming from that place of being loved and accepted, knowing that God is for us and not against us and will never leave us. We can make our lives out of love or As I most often do, you can build a life out of fear, trying hard to get all the details just right, because if I get the details just right, I can control the outcomes, so I can control my life, so I can be safe, so I can be happy. We either build our life out of fear or out of love. So God has a plan for your life, yes, but it's not this trail of breadcrumbs you have to find. He's not, like, really wanting you to know his plan and then kind of keeping it a mystery from you. They're like, you better get this right, but I'm not telling you anything about it. That's not how God works. He's making it clear. God's plan for your life is not this roadmap. It's an intimate and growing relationship with himself. Now, does that mean that God doesn't care about the details of our lives? Of course he does. That stuff that is weighing on you right this moment that you're not sure what to do about, he cares. But not because he's going to swat you if you don't get it right. He cares about you. He cares about those decisions, those choices, because he cares about you. He loves you. That's his motivation. In fact, he cares about that stuff even more than you do. So of course we would bring that stuff to him. Of course we would seek his advice, his input, his wisdom in that. And every once in a great while, he gives us very specific instructions about choices that we should make. That's biblical too. We see that throughout the biblical narrative. God giving specific instructions. In fact, we've got a lot of specific instructions in the biblical narrative. By which we could build a pretty amazing life around if we were just to kind of do them. For example, it turns out like murder's bad. And just, you know, just based on your response there, I'm a little concerned about this crowd, actually. (laughs) Some of you are actually concerned. But um, there's just some basic stuff in there, like serve the poor, don't commit adultery. I mean, it's like there's some real good stuff in there that you can build a life around. It's amazing. I I tend to think that, God, if you just show me what to do, I will do it. God's like, I just, I showed you all this stuff and you're not really doing that. He talks like that, it's weird. (laughs) But he's given us this will, this, this creativity, this imagination, all these things for a reason so that we could act with him. We could make our own choices in light of his love from a place of feeling love, of being loved. That's what a good parent does, after all. A good parent helps their child grow up and learn to make their own choices from that place of feeling loved, feeling accepted, knowing they matter knowing they have purpose. You've heard an analogy like this before, I'm sure, but imagine that Ryder, my 16-month-old up there, um, he's five years old and he's learning to tie his shoes, right? And I'm, I'm showing him how to do it, exactly how to do it. And I tell him when he should do it and why. Hey, buddy, if you're going to go outside and kind of run around, it'd be great to have shoes on and here's how you put them on. and Isn't that cool? But if Ryder is a sophomore in college... And he's calling me every morning and asking, Dad, uh, how do I tie my shoes again? And should I wear shoes today? Like, is today kind of a shoe-wearing day? And what shoes should I wear, Dad? The Nikes, the Adidas? What's, what should I do? If that's the kind of relationship we have when he's that age, I have been a bad parent. I've been a bad parent. I have an unhealthy relationship with my son. I've taught him how to live in fear, to always be second-guessing what I'm thinking. I've not given him the tools and the autonomy he needs to become a mature human being. A good parent wants their child to grow up and learn to take ownership of their lives and make good decisions based on good desires that come out of that place of feeling loved, of knowing they're loved, knowing they're accepted. And God the Father is the best parent of all. So he doesn't want to keep bottle feeding us. He'll do it for a little while, right? But he doesn't want to keep it going, which is why he doesn't give us that many really specific things. God, should I wear this shirt or that shirt? I don't know. Just wear a shirt, Jesse. That'll be important. I know it's an image that bothers me, too. He wants us to grow up. Six o'clock crowd, sorry. He wants us to grow up and become people with our own wills and our creativity and our means to exercise that he wants that for us because he's a good father and he knows that the best way for that to happen the only way for it to really happen in such a way that will bring us meaning and purpose and the stuff that we're really after is to learn to live in intimacy with himself in fact out of loving intimacy with himself our choices will begin to take on the shape that god wants our wants will become more and more like what he wants. I don't want the same things as I did when I was junior high. Right? My desires have grown up. They've changed. They've matured. Not all of them, some of them. So does God care about your decisions? Absolutely, he does. Not because he's watching to make sure you get it exactly right, stay on the path or risk falling off, or he does it because he loves you. He cares about these details because He loves you and he wants you to have the fullest life possible. And he's actually got a lot to say and has said a lot about how you can have that full life. All too often we want to skip the relationship and take the road map. And God says life doesn't work that way. If you want a map more than you want me, life is always going to be just a little bit empty. Which is hard for me personally because I want to know, I want to know. But if we're moving that way, we'll always be chasing the wind, looking for the right job, the right relationship, trying to get life right, trying to avoid getting it wrong. But we'll build lives out of fear. But pursuing Jesus, walking in intimacy with Jesus, looking at life through the lens of Jesus, spending time with Jesus and getting to know him, falling more in love with Jesus, you'll find yourself actually getting more of what your heart truly desires because your heart will be more and more shaped in his image. So here's a question for you and for me. Do you want to build your life on fear and that desperate need for control, which we can't get anyway? Or do you want to build your life on love, which is a lot messier, right? To be in a a relationship is a lot messier. It's this dynamic changing thing. You don't always understand the other person. They don't always... It's messy, I, just, I want the map, God. Could you just give me the coordinates here? I'll that moves toward fear. and God wants us to move toward love. Now, there's, I want to leave you with this. There's kind of a simple way to practice living out of love rather than fear. It's not easy, but it's simple. All I want you to do is this week, take one thing that you do know about God and practice it in some small way. So I think the majority of us, especially in this space, we have a lot of knowledge about God. We know a lot of things about Him. And if we were actually put even like a tiny percentage of it into practice, life would be different. It would operate more the way we actually would want it to work. And I'm saying this to me as much as I'm saying this to you. But this week, take one small thing that you do know about God and practice it in some small way. We know that God has a heart for the poor. So just do one small thing for someone in need. We know that God desires that we love our neighbor as ourselves. So what if we had actually approached our our literal neighbors, the people who lived right around us that we don't know that well because 10 months out of the year we're enclosed because of the weather, right? And you go from your garage and it opens, you go to work, you come back, you go back in the garage, garage closes, you're back in the house. Like, I don't see my neighbors except for July and August, right? It's pretty much how it works around here. So one thing my wife and I uh, have done, Katie's out there somewhere, we've started making cookies, And actually not just consuming them, which I normally do, but actually taking them to our neighbors and putting them on the porch and leaving a note. And, hey, we're Jesse and Katie. We live next door. Here's our cell phone numbers in case you guys ever need anything. And I got to tell you, the neighborhood is literally starting to change because of these things. Neighbors are, we're getting connected to neighbors and we're connecting them to their neighbors. And people are starting to hang out that never even knew each other lived there. There is great power in a chocolate chip cookie. There's also a great many calories, which I'm discovering. But the point is, like, just one little move. One little thing to say, I see you, and I value enough to do something for you that just says, you matter. You matter to me. I know it's kind of weird. Neighbors don't talk to each other, but you matter to me, and I want to have some kind of connection with you. And if you're one of those people who's like, I don't know if I even buy this whole God thing, then start there. Just say, God, I don't know if I by this. I don't know if you're real, so show me and give me eyes to see if that's if that's something you want to show me, give me eyes to see. But imagine what this would do in our lives. If our obsession with getting it right was subverted by this freedom of knowing we are loved and so there's all kinds of more space than we think there is. There's more room to play than we think there is. There's more room to make mistakes than we think there is. That's how good God is. That's how good God is. You're not going to have all the right answers. You're not going to make all the best choices, whatever those are. You're going to do your best, but your best is not the point. The point is intimacy with the Father. God wants to move us from living out of fear to living out of love. That's why God's ultimate plan for your life, for my life, It's not this roadmap. It's a relationship. It's a relationship that he he is calling you even more deeply into right this moment. It's a relationship we're going to celebrate here in a moment through communion. This intimate act, meal sharing that represents intimacy with the Father. God is inviting us into that even now. How will you respond? Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for making your plan known to us. That ultimately, in all the details of our lives, all the choices that yes, we do have to make, and yes, we are responsible for, ultimately, God, it it is about you and us. It is about this intimacy that we can share. God, that, that seems often so far from my experience. I imagine that's true for many of us in this room. So would you come and would you make that stuff really concrete for us? That it wouldn't just be a good idea. Oh, God's, God's plan is a relationship, not a roadmap. map. That's, that's cool. God, would that start to take life in us? Would that life just overflow and get on our neighbors and get on our family members and, and get on those around us who need that same kind of freedom? God, would you set us uh, free in order that we may free others. Would you help us to own the freedom you've given us so that we could bring that to others as well. We love you, God. Thanks for being so patient with us. Thanks for giving us so much room to make mistakes and to learn and to grow up. You are a good Father. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.